Good morning, church. We're very excited about the launch of 456, and of course, 180 is back in business as well. Thank you for all of your support and prayers uh, supporting the next generation. We are determined to provide a meaningful witness for Jesus Christ to these, to these young people, and thank you for being part of that. Welcome, uh, welcome back to school. Welcome, welcome back to Muncie. Welcome to Union Chapel. We're so glad you're here. My name is Greg Paris, and we have been talking about worship the last few weeks. And I want to conclude the series today on the subject. If you have your Bibles, I want to look at Psalm 150 today. It's the last of the Psalms, a Psalm of David. And of course, it's just pure praise and worship to God. And that's what we're talking about. We have attempted to define worship. What is worship? The worship of God. The worship of God essentially, fundamentally, is to experience God. If you encounter God, if you experience God at some level in your life, then you have worshiped God. Now, you can worship God anywhere, anytime. It doesn't matter where you are or necessarily what you're doing. You can, you can pray to God. You can think about God. You can consider God and therefore worship Him. You're experiencing God. You can experience God in nature. You can experience God when you're serving the need, physical needs of other people. Some of you experience God in a worshipful way every day of your life because your career is actually meeting physical needs of other people. And so there's this whole way. You can worship God with your mind. You can worship God with your emotion. There are all kinds of avenues to worship, but the point is to experience God. If you're not experiencing God, then you're not a worshiper. So that, that's the point, that's the goal, that's, that's the definition. Last week we asked the question, what does it mean when we gather together corporately and what is the purpose of worship when we're together, like in a worship service on the weekends? And we discovered that there's a twofold purpose for worship, two sides of one coin. One is to serve God with praise, find out what God is worth, give him what he's worth, and the other side of the coin is to serve people with God's grace and sufficiency, God's power. So not only do we serve God with praise, he's worthy and deserving. It's, it's what we should give him. It's right and good. And so we serve God with praise. And then we allow the intimacy, the connection, the experience to happen by allowing God to actually minister to us. Worship's not a performance. Worship is not... Is, is not some behavior of entertainment. Worship is about encountering God by serving him with praise and allowing him to minister to us. That's the purpose. Today, I want to talk about the priority of worship and the power of worship as we conclude this series. And I want to, I want to send you off with a, with a good uh, kick in the pants and really inspire you to think about being more authentic in your worship. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 150. And if not, we'll project the words on the screen. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word. So thank you for doing that as you're able. Here's Psalm 150. David writes, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Did you get it? Well, maybe we should all say it together. Ready? 
Praise the Lord. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Thank you so much. Now let's talk about some priorities in worship. On your outline, you might want to write this down. We do it, first of all, with our regenerated spirit. Regenerated spirit. We actually worship in spirit. God, God spoke to us uh, and, and reminded us that he's a spirit. God is spirit, and those that worship him will worship him in spirit and truth. And, and so our spirit connects with God, who is spirit, and we worship in the spirit. We sing spiritual songs, Ephesians 5, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We've done some of that already this morning. We give thanks by the spirit. Again, from Ephesians 5, don't get drunk with wine. That's a waste, but be filled with the spirit. And so a spiritual expression of worship is authentic. It is a priority in worship. Uh, as uh, has been my custom for all these years now, I always spend time on a regular basis with members of our staff to coach and mentor and teach a little bit. And this has always been true with the younger members of my staff. And now that all the members of our staff are younger than me, uh, this is something that I do on a regular basis. And I'll be doing it again this week. And on one occasion, I was sitting with a younger group, and I asked them this question. Define for me a time in your life, a spiritually significant time, other than the moment when you became a Christian and experienced salvation, that, that moment in your life or that season in your life when that happened. Other than that season of time, uh, def give me a defining spiritual moment in your life. We kind of went around the room. And one of the young men said this. He said, one of the moments that literally changed my life was when I went into a room by invitation with another friend and there was a group of people my age, in this case it was a group of teenagers, a group of teenagers, all of whom were worshiping God with all of their heart. Isn't that a great story? A moment that changed me, that impacted me, that, that really connected with me sobered me, made me think about spiritual things in a new and powerful way, is when I saw a group of my peers, my cronies, all worshiping God from their heart. I wonder if that still works. I wonder if worship actually impacts people that way. I suspect it does. And just another good reason to give it your best every time we engage in worship. So our regenerated spirit. And then number two, with our renewed mind, a renewed mind. I think that we can worship God with intelligent obedience. Paul wrote to the church at Rome and, and he said, look, we, we don't wanna be conformed to the world, but we wanna be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Let me offer this challenge to you. I believe that one of the most underutilized assets uh, among the people of God in the church, those who follow Jesus is is the lack of our use of a sanctified imagination. Think about that. Sanctified just, just means you're, you're, let your imagination be used by God. Set it apart to think the thoughts of Christ, to imagine the ideas that God might be bringing to your mind. There are all kinds of gifts resident in the church, all kinds of capacities. Many of you are artistic and you're creative. And, and hear your pastor now challenge you, 
that one of the most underutilized assets among the people of God is, is the willingness to commit your thinking, your creativity, your artistic capacity into the hands of God. Say, Lord, give me a thought that I might be able to write down or might be able to paint or might be able to, to create in a video or, or sculpt in, in some capacity, some artistic way, give me, give me the capacity to convey that big idea, that creative notion, that innovative thought in a way that will inspire people and influence people around it. There are people here, you should be writing songs that bring people into worship. You should be, you should be writing poems. You should be, you should be writing books. You should be thinking the thoughts of God. And what, what I'm saying is that we can worship God with intelligent obedience. And I want to just nudge you. I want to challenge you to think about doing that. So we can pray with our understanding. We can praise with our understanding. All of these ways we find expression through a renewed mind. Don't, not conformed, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. Here's the third thing. Write this down. We can do it with our revived emotions. Worship can have about it emotion. Um, Psalm 47.1 says, Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of, of triumph. And so when it says, Clap your hands, all you peoples, this is referring to the ethnos, the nations, the tribes, the peoples of the world. So God is inviting all the peoples of the world to worship him. It's a very powerful thing. Years ago, uh, there was a missionary home on furlough visiting my office and she had a spiritual experience while she was in my office and she saw a vision. Uh, I was sitting on the sofa across the table from where she was, the wall right behind me. And so on the wall behind where I was sitting, as she was looking on, the wall kind of disappeared and she began to have this vision. Now, that may sound mystical and wild and crazy, and it is. That's a wild experience, isn't it? That's quite a, that's quite a thing. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm Methodist and I don't, Methodists don't see visions, um, it doesn't seem. And, and so it was kind of new to me too. But she, she was seeing something. And I said, what are you seeing? And she described this large open space with mountains in the background and a beautiful setting and thousands of people. She said, there's a sea of faces. The faces very right behind you, she said, are, are right up close. And then it goes into this sea of faces, thousands of people. She described them to me and their features and so forth. I didn't know who she was talking about. And I said, and what are they doing? She said, they are worshiping. They have their faces upturned, their hands upraised, and they're worshiping God. And I thought, wow, how curious. And after this vision subsided, I asked her the key question, which was, what does this mean? She said, I have no idea. I said, does this happen to you often? Because, you know, I'm starting to wonder. And she said, this has never happened to me before. Isn't that interesting? And so I just took that experience. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know who these people were. And I just kind of took that experience and kept it in the back of my mind. 
And I carried it around for a number of years until I stepped off of an airplane in Central Asia on a, a mission scouting trip that we were, we were doing. And I walked into this airport terminal and I saw the faces of the, of the people she had described in this vision. Now that's pretty wild, isn't it? That's pretty dramatic. And so here, here is a movement of people that God has allowed us to be part of where thousands of people now are coming to faith in Jesus Christ and learning how to worship God. Now that's emotional and that's great fun. And so we do that with revived emotion. So we can praise aloud in the congregation with our emotion. We can rejoice and express thanksgiving and we can be silent before the Lord, be still and know that I'm God. But our emotions can be engaged in the process of worship. Here's number four, write this down. We can use our rededicated body, rededicated body. Paul asked the question of the church at Corinth. He said, don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? So the Holy Spirit actually lives inside of us and our bodies are like buildings where God inhabits us by his spirit. That's interesting. So he said, therefore, glorify God with your body. So there's all kinds of ways that you can worship God with your physical body. You can kneel in worship, for example, or you can bow your heads or you can raise your heads or you can clap your hands, or you can raise your hands, or you can wave your hands, or you can prostrate yourself before God. I have, a, I have a, a, a good friend, and I've been with him a handful of times in the past, either just privately with him in an office, for example, or in a corporate worship setting, where this guy will just sense God's presence, and he will prostrate himself. He's done this, like in my office. He'd just get out of the chair and lay down on the floor and will literally put his nose and his forehead on the floor, belly down, and just put his hands out like this and just lay on the floor in worship to God. You say, well, that's weird. It's not weird. It's biblical. And it's a way to use your body as an expression of your worship. Remember, we want to find out what God is worth, then give him what he's worth. So that becomes a holy moment. And an ex a way to use my body. So I use my spirit. I use my mind. I use my emotions. I use my body, heart, soul, mind, and strength. So when you, when, you, when you come to the place of worship, especially in the corporate setting, we should bring everything we've got. Bring all that you are into that process of worship because he deserves worship. He is deserving of our praise. And so that's how we do it. That's the priority. Now let's move into the power of worship. I want, to say, I want to send you off with this inspiration if I can. I learned the story of a missionary to Japan whose name is Ricky Gordon, an American guy, and he managed to establish a small congregation in Japan. If you know anything about the missions world, you know that Japan is a really hard place to try to establish the gospel. It's been, been that way for a long, long time. And he established a small church there and had a worship service where a Japanese couple who had no exposure to Christianity in their lives, never been to a worship service of any kind uh, and of Christian nature. And so they were invited by friends and they were in church in, in this small church in Japan. And Ricky Gordon reports that that morning, the worship in his, his small church in Japan was very exuberant and folks were, were very engaged. And as a result of that, God's presence, Ricky Gordon reports, came tangibly in the room. 
And after the service was over, this Japanese couple came up to him and asked the question, you know, we've never been in a Christian worship service today, but when you were singing at the beginning, they said, we felt a presence in the room. They said, was that God? Was that God? And Ricky Gordon was able to say to them, yes, Psalm 22, verse 3, in the Old Testament, what we hear is that God inhabits the praise of his people. God inhabits. He, he goes and lives in the midst of. He goes and dwells in the midst of the praise of his people. He inhabits the praise of his people. That's pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? And so, and so when we worship God and when we praise God, there is a, there is a presence and where the presence of God exists, important things always happen. Good things always happen. This is the power. This is the power of worship. So let me just remind you, God is looking for worshipers. God is looking for worshipers. And when Jesus encountered the woman at the well, this is in John chapter 4. This is a Samaritan woman, and she is broken Jesus said, uh, ask her a question about her husband. She said, oh, I'm not married. And Jesus then read her mail and said, well, you're right to say you're not married, but you've had five husbands and the man you're living with currently is not your husband, which freaked her out. I mean, it sobered her right up. She, she, she says, oh, you must be a prophet. Oh, you think? Maybe he knows something. So, the, so she, she is broken. She is a damaged person human being. She's fractured. We don't know her story other than this, this relationship saga. That's all we know about her. But we can suspect, can't we, that from the earliest days of her life, bad things have happened to this, to this poor woman. And so we know she's broken. She's probably fractured in a thousand pieces. Think about this. Psychically broken, emotionally damaged, spiritually fractured pieces of her all disjointed she's doing the best she can to try to stay alive and make a way in the world and she wants to deflect the attention away from her and say you know uh, some people say we need to worship on that, that mountain other people say we need to worship in jerusalem what do you say about worship and jesus said well okay if you want to talk about worship for a second i'll just say it this way it doesn't matter where you worship it's how and why you worship. And that's when Jesus said, God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. In other words, Jesus said, God's looking for worshipers. God's looking for worshipers. His eyes are going to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for people to worship him because this is what he desires. And this is what he knows is to our best benefit. John Piper in his uh, seminal book called Let the Nations Be Glad made this premise in his book, and it's simply this, missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. God is looking for worshipers. And don't be deceived into thinking that God's looking for some seasoned saint to be a perfect kind of worshiper. God's looking for anybody and everybody to worship him. And this woman that day who's broken in a thousand pieces, she ran back into her village and she said, come and see this guy. He's told me everything I've ever done. There's something going on with this guy. We've got to check him out because what is happening to her is all of these thousands of pieces. As Jesus encounters this woman, all of these pieces now are starting to, to come together. All the fractures 
are starting to mend in her soul. She goes into the village and it's happening. She goes back out to greet Jesus and there he is again. And she is experiencing the healing touch of God because he's loved her and accepted her and forgiven her. He's not mistreated her. He's not abused her. He's not taken advantage of her. He has brought healing to her soul. And by the time that encounter's over, she's a new woman. And this is an amazing moment. And so the invitation is given to all of us. It doesn't matter how mature you are, how, how, how close to God you are, or how far and, and fractured you are in your relationship with God. God is looking for worshipers. And in his presence, there is great power. When you encounter God and he inhabits your praise and your worship, you will discover the healing grace, the transformative power that only God can provide to you. It's an amazing phenomenon. And it's what God offers us. So on your outline, write this down. Number, number five, his power is displayed. His power is displayed. When we're in God's presence, amazing things. I was in a, I was in a small church preaching a series of meetings that lasted for a week. The pastor there wanted me to emphasize healing, the healing grace of God. So we had a whole week of teaching, preaching on the subject of healing, physical healing, emotional healing. And, and so I, w- I would teach and then we would pray for people to receive God's healing grace. About Wednesday night of those meetings, and it was a small church of maybe 85 people there. And we were singing some songs at the beginning and offering God what he's worth. And God showed up. Now, we know that where two or more gathered in his name, I am there in the midst of them. That's the promise that Jesus gave to his disciples. We know it's true that when a couple of us get together and we're there for Jesus' sake, that Jesus shows up at the meeting. We know that. happens every time. I also have observed in my experience over the years that sometimes when we gather in his name and we begin to give him what he's worth, that God shows up in a more potent way, a more tangible way, a more significant way. I, I can't explain this. Um, I can't put my finger on why God really shows up sometimes and just casually shows up in other times. I don't know. But that particular evening, God really showed up, really something. And it was so poignant, it was so powerful, it was so tangible that everybody in the room knew something unusual was happening. And so a, a song ended and the leader of the, of the music just, he stopped because he could s- discern something happening. And so the musicians stopped playing and the singer stopped singing. He stopped leading and he just got quiet. And so the room went quiet, five seconds, 10 seconds, and we're experiencing the presence of God. And then a woman right in the middle of the room She simply said, loud enough for everybody to hear, she said one word, and she said, wonderful. And then she said it again, wonderful. 
And she was discerning the moment. Because as it turns out, listen, friends, the God we serve is full of wonder. He's an amazing God. He is an awesome God. He is a great, great God. He's beyond our comprehension. And he has condescended through the veil that separates the physical world from the spiritual world. And he has settled down in the midst of us. He's inhabited his, the praise of his people. And a woman is, is defining it precisely when she said for all of us, wonderful. <laughs> Listen, there was no shouting, there was no clapping, there was no dancing, there was no carrying on of any kind, but there was healing that night. And God's amazing presence and grace. See, in his presence, amazing things happen. And people received healing in their lives. It's a powerful thing. That's what happens when we, when we worship. Power is released. Look at the second thing. It's number six on your outline. The, the conviction of sin is experienced. The conviction of sin. Now think about this. Every person who has truly come to a meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ has experienced some things. I know this is true because the Bible teaches it and it's, it's a common uh, expression of people who have come to a meaningful faith. Every one of you in this room today who have a meaningful faith in Jesus Christ came to that relationship through some steps. And one of those steps was becoming aware of your need for God, your need of forgiveness, a sense that, that, that your attitudes and your behaviors have actually complicated your relationship with God, causing separation in your relationship with God, and now you're aware of that. And you feel, you feel bad about that. Here's what it's called. It's called conviction of sin. And everyone who comes to Jesus has it. It's actually a, a means of God's grace. It's, it's, it's a process of God's saving grace to be so gracious enough to remind us that that the need we have in our relationship with him is beyond our ability to, to fix it, to cure it. We need God's help. That's why he sent his son as a missionary to relieve us of this guilt and shame. And so conviction of sin is the thing that God reminds us of our need for him. That maybe the greatest need in every human being's life is the need to know our need, our need for more of God a need for something bigger and more powerful than ourselves. And so conviction of sin allows us to experience that. Uh, when I was 19 years old, a family friend offered to pay my way to a Christian conference in Anaheim, California. Very generous, very gracious. So I got on a plane by myself, flew out to this conference. There were about 5,000 people there. And one night as we were worshiping uh, and God was present, a police officer made his way into this large gathering. He was fully uniformed. It was 7, 7.30 in the evening. And he came walking down one of the main aisles of this church toward the front. And he was, his body language suggested that he wasn't sure why he was there. It was, he was full of wonder himself. And he went down to the front. We noticed that one of the pastors greeted him there and was talking with him. And after a couple more songs, the pastor came up and explained what happened. This police officer, Anaheim's finest, 
full uniformed, is in his patrol car. He's on duty and he drove by the church and he said, a voice says in his head, stop and go into that church. And he said, he drove on by going, that's ridiculous. And he came back around the second time and the voice again said, I want you to stop and go in there. And so he pulled into the parking lot, got out, walked into the church. And he said, it's the first church he's ever been in in his life. But as he walked down the aisle of the church in the presence of God, he came under the conviction of his own sin. And so in three minutes later, after he gets an understanding of what's going on in here and someone there to help him, he gives his life to Jesus Christ and becomes a follower of him. That's an amazing miracle, isn't it? And we all just went, woo, yeah, God, yeah, woo. That was, that's amazing. But that's happened, listen, that's happened thousands of times in the life of our church here where people just like you have said in a service just like this, when, when you suddenly became aware of your need, it's called the conviction of sin. This is what happens. It's an amazing thing in the presence of God. And the Bible's pretty explicit about this, that the only people who can actually come to a meaningful faith in Jesus are those whom the Spirit draws to Jesus. And that's part of the process of drawing people to him called conviction of sin. I had an occasion, I was at the parsonage, a church-owned home where my family lived for years. And I was there and there was a, an office in the, in, the, in the home. And one afternoon, a knock came to the door. It was a guy, he's about 20, 25 years old. And he was standing at the front door and I, I, I knew him casually. I, I vaguely remembered his name. I opened the door and he looked at me and he said, may I come in? I said, yeah, come on in. He stepped in and he said, I need to get right with God. He said, I was, just, I was just driving by your house. He said, he, said, he said, I have to get right with God. I said, we've come to the right, right place. And I prayed with him to receive Christ. We had a staff meeting going on. One day, there was about a dozen people in the staff meeting. This is on a Tuesday morning. Everybody, you know, who works is already at their job and so forth. And we're doing our job. And a knock comes to the door. And we open the door and a young man walks in. He's 20-something years old. He walks in. He said, I don't know what's going on. I've been to your church for about three weeks. And he said, but I, I, need, I need help. <laughs> we looked at each other and said, you've come to the right place. We can help you. And we led him to Christ. Been in the church ever since. Isn't that amazing? This is, this is what happens when we worship God. God inhabits the praise of his people and he begins to draw people to himself. What is that that I'm feeling? Why is my heart pounding? What, why am I anxious? I just, you know, I just came with a friend today. I've never been in, in this church before. I, I, I'm, what, what's going on with me? This is the presence of God saying to you, I love you, I accept you, I forgive you. Come on into the family. So that's what it is. And it's a powerful, powerful thing. So the conviction of sin can be experienced. Here's number seven on your outline. His purposes are revealed when we worship. Now I'm talking about the power part of worship. This is, this is the impact that it can have in your life. His purposes are revealed. First uh, Peter 2, 8, 9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you might proclaim the mercies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now 
you have received mercy. It's, it's fascinating to me uh, how so many people will ask the question, what is God's purpose for my life? I don't know what God's purpose is. Well, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Because in his presence, you learn his purpose. In his presence, you understand that he loves people and wants, wants people, everyone to be part of his family. And so you understand, therefore, your purpose. You once were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. And so your purpose is clear, to know God and to make him known. You're to grow closer to God. This is his plan. This is his destiny for you, every last one of us, to know God and then to make him known, to make Jesus more famous and more followed everywhere we go because that's our purpose, that's our calling. Now, you, you can sort out specific details of your calling, God's plan, his will for your life, who you're gonna marry, what kind of career you choose, all these other important decisions, crossroads moments, you can sort that out. But generally speaking, all of us have the same call, which is to know God and to make him known. I just uh, preached my father's funeral just a few months ago and my dad, my dad died at 88, he died suddenly. And my dad was a kind of a physical freak. He, he was just always healthy and vital. Uh, when, he, when, he, when he turned 85, you know, I called him on his birthday. I said, how's it feel like to be 85? He said, I'm pretty excited about it. And I said, well, why is that? He said, it's just, it's one, more, it's one more number that I can add to my golf score so I can shoot my age. And so he's, you know, he's looking forward to it. And most of the guys he hung out with, he didn't hang out with guys his own age because they couldn't keep up with him. You know, he had to go to the nursing home to hang out with guys his own age. And so he, his golfing buddies were all guys my age, you know, in their 60s. And so here's one of these guys that he, my dad has befriended. He's mentored him. He's helped him take steps closer to Jesus. And, and so here's, here's dad's friend after the funeral, and we're at that, that dinner, you know, after the funeral. And this guy comes up to me, and he's, he's my age, <laughs> and he's sobbing. He's just crying. Tears are coming down his face. He, he grabbed me, you know, and he said, Greg, he said, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I grabbed him by his lapels. Uh, it was a fairly cheap suit. I knew it wasn't going to hurt anything. So I, did, I grabbed him by his lapels. <laughs> And I just shook him just like that. And I said, what are you talking about? You don't know what you're gonna do. You know exactly what to do. You know exactly what to do. I, I said, my dad coached you, he mentored you, he helped you take steps in your faith. And he, you know, as he kicked your butt in golf. And so, and so you know what to do. He set the example. Now follow in his footsteps, go out there and learn how to meet Jesus and make Jesus known to other people. And he said, that's right, I do know what to do. I said, there you go. And he sobered right up. There was a guy in the receiving line, you know, at the, before the funeral started. And he walked up to me and he said, you know, your, your dad has been trying to recruit me to join the Gideons for years. He's just been after me. He said, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And I just looked at him, I said, you know exactly what to do. There's an opening in the local chapter. Fill the spot, let's go. You know the purpose of God in your life. Get busy. And he said, I think I will. And I said, there you go. In the presence of God, you learn the purpose of God. That's a great thing. That is a great thing. You don't have to wonder, wonder in life, wondering what, what you're doing. You ever meet people just lost as a goose? 
in a snowstorm. Hey, Goose, what are you doing? Ah, it's a snow and I, can't, I don't know where I... People, you, you'll, you'll see, see them. You'll see them. You'll see them in the store. You'll see them in the restaurant. So, some, you'll see them on campus. People just wandering around. Hey, what are you doing? I don't know. What's the purpose of your life? I don't know. Come on. Come on now. Come on now. Get in the, get in the habit of worshiping God. And in his presence, amazing things happen. And you'll learn your purpose. And you'll fulfill your destiny. And your life will be worthwhile. It's good preaching right there. It's good preaching. Here's the last point I want to make. Number eight, his enemies are scattered. Now I'm talking about the power of worship. His enemies are scattered. Psalm 97 verse 3. It says fire goes before him and burns up his enemies, his adversaries. Fire goes before him, burns up his adversaries. That's pretty, that's pretty wild talk, isn't it? Here's what we know. That, that there are enemies of God. For example, fear is an enemy of God. Fear is not your friend. Fear is an enemy. God's not given us a spirit of fear. That, those phobias. So fear is an enemy of God. How about doubt and unbelief? That's an enemy of God. The Bible teaches us that you can't please God unless you have faith. And so doubt and unbelief, you know, that's an enemy of God. And so these things happen. My wife and I, my wife and I will celebrate our 42nd wedding anniversary on Tuesday. 42 years, yeah. She, she is a saint. You know, last night, that electric storm, that was pretty, pretty impressive, wasn't it? So, so I'm laying in bed, and she's not here this weekend, so I'm in bed by myself. And if there's a big lightning storm like that, if she's in the bed, I don't, I don't worry at all because I know God won't strike her with a bolt of lightning. <laughs> so last night, I laid awake for a while. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. So we have... Uh, We've been married 42 years, and we dated six years before that. So when we were both 16, I had, I had become a Christian a few months earlier, and that one of the first dates that we had when we were 16 years old was I took Beth, my, my wife now, to church. There was a, a special speaker that was coming to the church, and so I thought this would be a good opportunity. So I, I took her to church. And the, the guest speaker that night was a, a guy named Merlin Carruthers. And Merlin Carruthers was um, just a few years out of uh, military career, so served over 20 years in the military, and he wrote a book that became a bestseller back in the day called Prison to Praise. Prison to Praise. His, the whole thesis of the book was based on the scripture that says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. And so the premise of the book was, when life is good and, and you're blessed and, it's, and you're on the mountain, give God praise. When life is average and routine and even mundane, give God praise. And when life is hard and bad and even tragic in the worst of times, give God praise. <laughs> because in everything, we should give thanks. And so that was the premise. And it was a very powerful concept, very powerful principle. And as I said, he sold millions of copies of that book. It was a big deal. And so he's in, he's in our little church in Boswell. And so I took Beth... And he gave his little spiel that night. And then at the end, he asked a simple question. He said, maybe you're here tonight and you sense a need for more of God and you'd like to take a step in his direction. 
and give your life to Jesus Christ. And if that's true for you, just where you're seated, seated there, he said, just stand to your feet. Just stand up. And Beth stood up. And I looked at her, and she looked down at me, and I took her, I took her hand, and I, I said, do you understand what you're doing? She said, yes. And so Beth and I have not only been married all these years, but we've actually grown up spiritually together from the time we were 16 years old. And she's never turned back, not once. She's been faithful all the way. And so doubt and fear and confusion and bitterness and pain. Most of you know the story that Beth's mother died when Beth was nine years old. And it was a hard thing. And she suffered for it. And so she came to 16 years old and she was filled with a lot of emotion toward God because he got blamed for that. How could you let my mother die? It's a great question. And so the enemies of bitterness and anger, frustration, resentment, confusion, all those enemies got dispelled one by one in the presence of God. See, in his presence, there's fullness of joy. And the way we gain his presence is through giving him what he's worth. Serve with God with praise. He inhabits that praise. And then we serve people with his sufficiency and his power. And this is how life transformation happens. Worship is a powerful thing. And God's looking for worshipers. Would you be one? God wants you to be one of his worshipers. And I hope you'll choose to do just that. Amen? Let's pause and pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word, which lamps our feet and lights our way. We hear the words of King David, who knew the power of worship. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And so today we praise you. We honor you. We recognize you as worthy. We want to know what you're worth and give you what you're worth. And then as we serve you with praise, God, thank you that you would extend your hand to us in this place right now to meet us, each one of us, at the point of our need. Friend, no matter what your need is here today, if you offer to God, it's his good pleasure to extend his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness to you. Receive it now. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with us?